Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. In my book, The Impact Makers, I talk about different dimensions of exceptional leadership. One of those is around building relationships. And when you think about great leaders that build strong, healthy relationships with their teams, big aspect of that is being able to provide the support with the servant leader mindset that removes barriers, that really lifts the performance of the team and gets the maximum potential out of every team member. And I am excited to discuss this optimization of human potential today with Sean Shushak. And Sean is a passionate advocate for achieving greater results and maximizing performance. He's a number one results coach, president and founder at Change Your Results. And he has helped literally thousands of business leaders get more out of their teams, and really optimize performance. He's also the author of Change Your Mind, Change Your Results. So a lot of this is around mindset, and uh, we're going to explore that a bit more with Sean. Sean, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. So uh, I want to go back, like looking at your career trajectory, you've been coaching and you've been helping others for a really long time. What <laughs> You're, you're dating me now. <laughs> no, it's the experience that you have in literally uh, decades. And what originally fueled your career focus and your commitment to this area of developing better leaders? Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, um, the honest to God truth is I was, uh, I grew up as a farm kid, rural, uh, uh, I always wanted to do something other than that. I, if I'm being honest with you and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm certain my parents, this wasn't what they wanted to know or hear, but I didn't want to be on a farm. It wasn't my thing. Never has, never will. Uh, I'm sure I learned a great deal, but at 13 years old, and this will date me even more. Um, I was reading a magazine, the back of the magazine, there was a little classified ad and it was said something to the effect of help businesses grow or succeed or whatever the, mm -hmm. the, the you know, headline of that was. And I asked my parents to write a check for $13 to order the book that they were that they were selling. And they did. And the book came. And I read it cover to cover three times. And I incidentally, I still have the book. So it's a long, long time ago. But I still have the book because it was really a watered-down version of management consulting. And, you know, I, I was 13. I didn't know very much about business. But it really interested me. And so I vowed I was never, ever going to be an entrepreneur. That never was going to happen. And uh, I uh, I remember moving small town to big city and going and getting my first job and realized how truly unemployable I was. And uh, the the next step in that in that journey really was about me going back to that little bit of knowledge I had gained from that book and starting to knock on doors, small businesses, and have conversations with them. Uh, you know, I eventually went uh, and did a little bit more schooling and got some fancy pieces of wallpaper put up on the wall, but. The the idea behind this very simply is that um, when we start a business, and you know uh, this is talked about in the book E Myth by uh, Michael E Gerber, 
Um, you know, just because we went and incorporated a company and we started doing what we're good at doesn't really necessarily mean that we're entrepreneurs. He goes on to say, you know, most so-called entrepreneurs are only technicians suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure. Um, and th there's a reality behind this for a lot of people. So how do we grow, scale and expand? How do we really take these? And yes, there's a mindset component, as you alluded to in, in the intro, but uh, there's more to it. Like how how does an, a, you know somebody who's you know a really good plumber or really good graphic designer or consultant or whatever it is they do, how do they take this and extricate themselves from the business uh, and not in a way where you're not you know generating business, but letting go, um, not subscribing to the typical idea that the entrepreneur syndrome, where I hold everything as close as I can to me. I don't let go. I have to touch, you know, every piece of paper, every phone call, every email, every sale, every, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we, we tend to limit ourselves as a result of our perspectives. And, you know, I, I built, I built 44 companies. So for one of the, one of the biggest companies I built was a company, a consulting firm was the largest independent management consulting firm on the Western side of the North American continent. And I did it within eight years up to $133 million the last fiscal year. And when I hired a CEO at about $9 million, uh, you know, the, the hardest thing I had to do was let go. And the, you know, there was a vetting process and we, he came on board and, you know, I so it was probably was a two month process. And the day after he came on board, I was at the office at 6am and he looked at me and said, good morning, Sean. I said, good morning. He said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here to work. He said, yeah, it's your company. He said, but remember you hired me for a reason, stay out of my way. Uh, and initially I, you know, I wanted to give him a piece of my mind, but he was right. Yeah. Yeah. It is about trust and empowerment, isn't it? If you're hiring the smart and, and the right people, it's knowing when to um, check that ego or move that ego aside. And if you really want to um, enable better team performance, it there is a humbleness, right? That needs to come with that. And that's hard. Well, you, you do have to swallow your ego and, and it's not a bad thing because it allows for growth and expansion. And you talked about, you know, um, you know, you talked about relationships in the intro. Uh, you know, one of the things I talk about in depth with the folks that I have the privilege to work with both, you know, on a much larger setting as well as the very few one-on-ones that I do take on is strong, powerful, and high-trust relationships. Your life is predicated on two things. One, the decisions you make. And two, the relationships you nurture, establish, and build. And that's just a reality. If you're going to be successful, whatever it is you decide to put your hand to, uh, relationships are key. And for those people that are listening today that, um, and you know who you are that, you know, when I step off a stage somewhere, they say, Sean, you know, I want to do X, whatever that is, but I don't want to, I don't want to sell. Um, you know, you are always selling. Every business is a sales organization. If you're not selling, you aren't in business. And, uh, if you're married or have children, you, you, you know, sales better than most. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. And, as leaders, and we've certainly gone through globally just some unprecedented times uh, and just very dynamic change the last couple of years, but what makes effective leadership today maybe even a bit more challenging than it was even 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, and one of the things, and I don't know if it's 10 or 15 years, but I'll, I'll say this, the old leadership styles of top-down no longer works and maybe never has, but certainly doesn't work today. Uh, leadership, if we're going to be effective leaders, we have to understand what empowerment really means. And while we use the term and it's a great buzzword, I'm not sure that that everyone really grasped the idea of what empowerment truly is. And if we're going to be effective 
leaders, if we're going to build, if we're going to nurture uh, those those individuals, we have the privilege to work with. Uh, they we have to give them. You know, there's a there's an old uh, an old boss of mine when I was in university, and you know, he said, Sean, I and I don't necessarily subscribe to this, but this was his very blunt idea of how to put leadership. He said, I don't micromanage. He said, I give you enough rope to do what you already know how to do. Right. If you need help, come see me. He said, but the end of the rope is a noose. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you know what's going to happen. And that's not a necessarily a good analogy. But the, the idea that we empower people with, with the tools they need and the decision making capabilities they need to do what it is that they hopefully know, what, you know, what their what their role is. Um, but empowerment is everything. And if we can get to a place where and I, I realize trust is always a big one when it comes to hiring. But. Uh, that's really a key in my mind. Yeah. And I think we're venturing again into this area, one aspect of the servant leadership, which is the empowerment. What have you seen out there, Sean, in terms of working with so many leaders, uh, this idea of servant leadership, do you, do you feel like it's, it's something that is growing in momentum? Do you get some pushback challenges? What, what, what do you see there in terms of how it comes into play? I think it depends on who's sitting in the driver's seat in which organization and, you know, what they have made a conscious decision to expose themselves to as far as uh, themselves growing. Um, I think in certain places, you know, the culture that that has been established in an organization lends itself well to servant leadership. And if the leaders are, you know, the, the, those 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 girls and boys sitting in that in, in those leadership seats at that table, um, if they have been open to the idea that what once worked no longer works, and if we look at what's happening today in the Western world, uh, it's th- that what I just stated is factual. Because when we start having some of the challenges we are around building teams, um, or at least powerful teams, uh, we have to, as leaders, we have to make those shifts and changes uh, to be able to to be successful at at, at that. Um, so in certain, in certain, in certain instances, yes. Uh, and there are certain, this is even, you know, geography plays a part in this too. Sometimes, um, industry profession and vertical play a part, but I think more and more we're seeing that. And I think the idea of leadership and while this may seem, uh, maybe seem a little bit old school to some people, I'll say this, uh, you know, the idea of go do this versus let's go do this is starting to, in the corporate world, starting to become more accepted. Um, you know, communication needs to be rationalized, not just, you know, top down. And I, and I think we're starting to see more and more of that. And uh, certainly it's become a much more of a focus post-pandemic. Yeah, I think that dynamic too, Sean, which is the physical nature of how teams are working together. It's changed so much as we've gone to more virtual models, right? That That's a dynamic that's different than, than physically cohabitating. It is. No question. Yeah. And, and there is a personal responsibility and there's a lot of accountability that comes with that empowerment. And I know I've seen as a leader, sometimes that becomes challenging with the team members. They're, they may not be ready to fully understand and embrace what that means, right? As opposed to the wait for the command. And so it, it is kind of on both levels that the team needs to have their eyes open, be ready to accept what that added responsibility is by being more fully empowered. And then the leader needs to be able to have uh, be comfortable with with that. So it does kind of work both ways. No question. And there's, a, you know, you, you, you talked about sort of giving the directive or the order. And, and 
You know, what's interesting is I, there's a big difference. Matter of fact, my next book coming out here a little bit later this year, uh, when we first sat down and started brainstorming the, the ideas as far as the title goes, um, you know, the one that kind of, that kind of came to the surface was, you know, the difference between waiting for orders and taking initiative. Now that, that won't be, end up being the title. It'll be something close when it does finally come out, but it's, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, if we, if we look at, um, what, where, you know, where we live and sort of how we work, um, there are a lot of people that are waiting for something or to happen or someone to do something for them. And I was, uh, speaking at an event in Dallas, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And I had a young person come up to me who was in their mid to late twenties. And, you know, we were talking about what it took to hit a certain level of, of, uh, you know, we'll call it success or performance. And, and this individual said to me, he said, listen, he says, I, I don't have to do any of this. And I said, oh, okay, well, you know, why not? He said, well, I was born here in the U.S. and I'm entitled to the American dream. And, you know, there's <laughs> the American no. dream works, but you have to work for it. And so, I, you know, I think there's there's uh, we, we sometimes need to change our perspective on things, too. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let, let's shift gears over to something else that's really powerful in the life of any successful company, and that is culture. And I've had many company founders on this podcast. You have all of that experience in, in all of those companies that you've been a part of founding. Mm-hmm. And what they mentioned is one of the most challenging things uh, as, as the founder, as the leader of an organization is developing a sustainable, healthy culture. Where do you see culture coming into play in this whole leadership equation? And what have you seen as being the key ingredients that really make that healthy, sustainable culture possible? Well, there's a there's an old line that I heard years ago, and it said, uh, you know, good employees don't leave a company, they leave a boss. And so when you see a company with challenges, especially around staffing and building a team, you know, the today, it's not just about a boss, especially, especially if it's a larger team, it is about the culture. And so uh, the, the building of a culture sits squarely on the shoulders of a leader. And what we want from our team and the outcomes that we're, uh, we're seeking from our organization is entirely dependent upon what we as leaders put into place. And I think sometimes leaders, and you know, I think all of us at some point, um, you know, we tend to get head down on the other end in the air and sometimes don't realize some uh, day-to-day, I guess, I'll put it that way. And if we're not if we're not involved in it, and I don't mean micromanagement, understanding what's happening with our team, uh, someone else or something else is going to is going to you know basically take over. So I think for us, it's incumbent upon leaders to really take a look at this and say, okay, what do I want the culture of this? And I look at it a little differently. What do I want the culture of this family to look like? How do I empower, embolden? How do I support? Um, how do I give my team the tools they need to do what it is that they're good at? And I become a support mechanism. And I don't mean as in I'm going to become somebody's executive assistant, but I become a support mechanism in building the culture so that every single person, uh, there's this um, inter, I'll, I'll use the term intertwined um, um, responsibility between the team members to to work and play together. And I think that's a key in this. 
the work and play side of this builds that culture. Um, the idea that communication isn't rationalized in a lot of organizations is detrimental. Uh, the idea that uh, top-down management uh, in today's world is still out there is detrimental and, and will lead in a direction that I don't think any leader wants to take an organization or, or team. And notwithstanding size, you can be a multinational, uh, you could be a mom and pop with two or three people. Uh, I think understanding that uh, you can lead the culture rather than the culture. You know, and I'll give you an example. I, I was a couple of years ago, I was coming out of a restaurant with my oldest son and uh, down the down the you know the, the sidewalk a little bit was another restaurant and a gentleman, his wife and their son came out and I knew him. He had worked for me back when I was in university and and uh, you know we waved at each other and met in the parking lot and we were chatting. And I said and I knew he was in business for himself, construction related. And I said, "How's business?" And he looked at me and he said something really interesting. Now it wasn't my place to comment at that time, but he said to me, "Sean, he goes, oh, he said, you know, my staff they killed the company." And you know, the reality is the staff didn't kill the company. Uh, whatever happened, the company falls squarely on the shoulders of the leader. And maybe the fact that he wasn't leading is why it, it went down. So, you know, um, sometimes it's a good idea to have a look in the mirror uh, for those of us that are leaders and, you know, give ourselves a checkup from the neck up. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. And the other interesting aspect of uh, culture is there's the explicit and the spoken. And then in organizations, there's kind of this unspoken aspect of culture that just is through observable behaviors. And I'm, I'm curious, Sean, so in working with a lot of the leaders in the companies, is explicit capture of you know the vision, the mission, the values, do you find that being really important that there's some explicit aspect of it uh, that kind of goes along with then just more of the unspoken behavioral norms? They come into play. Um, yeah, sharing at some level, I think, is important. But, you know, I think a, a major part of and a lot of team members, you know, they're 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 not concerned with that. Uh, you know, no matter where they fall, I think, you know, they have their own areas of focus. And um, so one of the things I think, you know, that I like to do is uh, with with everybody, um, you know, there's when I go into an organization and, for example, I'm working with a company right now. Um, you know, they've got, um, they've got offices right across the country. Matter of fact, on Sunday night or Monday morning, I'm flying across, across the country, uh, to meet with, uh, with one of their people in, on the Eastern seaboard. And, uh, there's people that don't, how do I put this? If, if the leader of an organization is willing to do whatever it takes within, you know, the, the realm of reason and, and, you know, what's ethical and legal, um, the, the team will follow suit, but if the leadership is not willing to do what it takes, you know, when I work one-on-one -on -one with, with individuals, especially on the leadership side, one of the questions I ask them before, um, you know, I make a decision that I want to work with them one-on-one -on -one is I say, are you willing to do anything and everything it takes to get where you want to go, provided it's legal, moral, and ethical? And it seems like a very basic or simplistic question, yeah. but the reality is it's not. And I think the idea that a leader a leader is willing to do what what it takes to ensure that his or her team is performing at a level that is going to deliver what it is the predetermined results or outcomes. Um, I, I think that's a key. Those people, and this kind of goes back to that very simplistic thing I said a moment ago about you know go do this versus let's go do this. Um, leadership is not just about sitting in a, in a, in a nice leather chair behind a big desk. Uh, you know, issuing memos or directives. 
Uh, it's far more than maybe that was a, a little bit of a leadership style going back 50 years, but certainly in today's world, uh, it's much more active. And if you look at really successful, even large organizations, um, they're the, the leadership in those organizations takes an approach that values um, the opinion of the teams and and brings those teams and opinions together in order to form whatever that plan is that they decide to implement. It may not be exactly what someone stated or indicated, um, but I think, you know, everybody has something to contribute. And when I go into to organizations, uh, I'll sit down with, you know, whether it's a division or whether it's a leadership team or it's a sales team, I will sit down with every member of the team individually and, and have a conversation about what is what works, what's good, what's fantastic. And then automatically, without me asking, they'll start to share the things they think need to be improved upon. Yeah, the word that jumped out as you were talking there, Sean, was commitment and commitment at a personal level as myself as a leader being committed to doing what it takes ethically, morally, legal, all of that that you mentioned. But for a CEO, I think the added complication, isn't it, with an executive team is getting that mutual commitment across the executive team. And I've seen many a company where the the most senior leader had a clear commitment vision, but there were still challenges to get each of those functional leaders fully committed on board and that created dysfunction. And so that can be a problem too, right? As a, just an added complex layer. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me play reverse this for a minute. You're, you're brilliant. So why do you think um, a leader has the, has that challenge from time to time of bringing the rest of a leadership in line with uh, what he or she wants that culture to really be? I think, I think there's a couple of factors, Sean. I think sometimes it can be lack of clarity in terms of their expression of kind of guiding to where, where is it we're all trying to go, right? And getting everyone to mutually understand that. I think sometimes, actually, you mentioned earlier, uh, or we talk about recruiting or hiring. I think sometimes uh, the, the filter that you want to have through a recruiting process to ensure that there's good fit and alignment, I think sometimes that fails. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a couple of different factors into that. Does any of that fall on the leader uh, and, and his or her um, ability to, to continue to grow and expand the organization if there is a breakdown like that? I think it really, what it tests is the ability to um, have a solutions focus and to understand that conflict and divergence of opinions is kind of a, a natural, it actually can be quite healthy to have kind of a, a variety of different perspectives. And sometimes that's going to create conflict, but um, but doing that in a constructive, healthy way versus mm -hmm. a destructive way. And I think that is a test to the the, the capabilities and, and skill and the patience and the, uh, the confidence of the leader. Yeah. And you said something a moment ago about clarity and there's a, there's a three-step process that I, have worked with leaders on and will continue to uh, even individuals for that matter. But, you know, clarity is, is a key in this. Um, you know, one of the things I've said many, many times, if you don't know where you're going, and again, it's a simplistic approach and I'm a yeah. simple guy, you know, if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to get there? So, you know, clarity of, of what those, those outcomes need to be. And, you know, so the predetermined outcomes, I guess, um, and then the focus and, you know, part of leadership is being able to work with your leadership team, 
um, to the exclusion of all outside distractions. There's always going to be, a, you know, uh, you know, countless, countless distractions that are going to come away, whatever they happen to be. And then the third one in this is really the execution. And it's not mm-hmm. about action. And we've heard for years and we've heard, you know, gurus and, and those uh, tell us that 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 action is everything. And that's only a component of it. Execution is really, um, you know, taking the, that pro proactive action on something we know is going to take us where we want to go. And I think that's the, that's yep. one of the keys in, in all of this. Yeah. It's that last mile now for, for decades, uh, there's this uh, phrase that we we've heard in business about the importance of quote time management. And there's been countless books written on efficiency and, and just being able to better manage your time. But yet you've said something really interesting, which is no one can really manage time. What's that all about? Yeah. You know, this is my very first coach many, many years ago, him and I had this conversation. And for those listening that know who Bob Proctor was, he passed away last year. Uh, one of the things him and I discussed at length, this goes back, you know, well, goes back to your, the intro, you know, this is probably 25 or 20 years ago. Uh, you can't manage time. You get all there is right? None of us get to stop the clock, but you can manage the activities in the time that you've been blessed with. So, you know, all of us get 24 hours in a day. What you choose to invest that time in is going to determine the outcomes. And so when we talk about leaders and we talk about entrepreneurs, uh, one of the things we want to know is, are the activities that you're engaging in on a daily basis, HLAs, high leverage activities, are they moving you? Like we, we, we talk, even the other word we talk about at length is productivity. It's a great buzzword. The average, the average leader today, you say productivity, and that's great, but they don't actually understand it, I have found. Uh, you know, the definition of productivity is any action step or activity that moves in the direction of your goal or objective. So if we come back to this, are you engaged in high leverage activities that moves you or moves a needle, moves you in the direction of where you want to be? And if you know what you shouldn't be doing, first of all, then you can begin to scale, expand, and grow. If, you, if you're engaged in activities that you shouldn't be doing, now, let's be clear, they may need to happen, like, you know, accounting, these kinds of things, they need to happen. But in a leadership role, an entrepreneur's role that's building something, there's a good, good chance you shouldn't be doing everything. And nor is it productive. And you, of course, cap yourself in your ability to grow. So what are those high leverage activities you need to be engaged in so that you can see this? And what you'll see is when you see companies grow relatively fast, um, you see a leader or leadership team that understands this uh, and 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 really takes a proactive approach to saying, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what the other person is responsible for. And then we're going to download, delegate and automate the rest. Yeah, I, I talk in my book, I, I use the phrase choose wisely. And it is about choices, intentional choices. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're a trusted advisor to so many leaders, but I want to flip things around, Sean. And I want to ask you, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? You know, I, I think there's a there's a few, um, but uh, I was probably early 30s and I was working uh, with a gentleman, a coach, and I've had a coach for close to 30 years. Now, not always the same individual, sometimes more than one. And we were talking about a particular uh, business generation activity, and I had indicated at some level that I felt I wasn't able to to do it. And, and he looked at me and he said, why? And so 
um, you know, it really forced me. And we went further in that conversation, you know, but um, I took his advice and within, I'm going to say probably um, three months, I had taken uh, the step to do what we've been talking about, what I, you know, inquired with him about. And we generated uh, just in, in one weekend, we generated well over $1.7 million, I think it was in sales. So if you're hesitating on something, um, go do it. Um, listen, it's better done than perfect because perfect doesn't exist. And ultimately, that means you haven't done anything. Um, if you're, you're in a leadership role, if you're an entrepreneur building, uh, if you want to get to a place where you achieve freedom, freedom is defined in my world, at least uh, the ability to do what you want, when you want, and with whom you want, you need to take some steps that the average person either can't or in most cases won't um, and do something that's going to challenge you. And listen, you know, we've heard for years, we talk about goals and objectives and all this, um, but the most people don't understand the purpose of a goal. The only, the only purpose of a goal is growth. If you know how to do something, it's not a goal. It should motivate and inspire and scare you all at the same time. I remember the first time I put on an event and I I spent the money to rent a ballroom in a hotel and did all the marketing and you know all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it was probably the tune of, uh, I don't know, I'm going to say a couple hundred thousand dollars. And it's scary because there's no guarantee of anything. Now, you know, we've done lots of events since. I think we're about 130 events since then. So uh, I've done it more than once. But uh, there was always a first time. And uh, it's really about getting past that. Yeah, it's a bias to action versus inaction is what you're talking about there. And obviously, um, all of us as leaders, uh, again, there's a lot of responsibility, a lot of weight on, on the shoulders of the leader in terms of getting that optimum team performance, stressors um, all around us, dynamic change. But when you look to the future, even given all that, what makes you optimistic? <laughs> I, I'll i say this to you. I think there is always opportunity. Um, I choose to have good days and I choose to see the opportunities. And I think it, it comes down to, you know, you were alluding to a moment ago about, you know, a, a conscious decision. Um, you know, what you choose is what's, what you're going, what's going to happen at, at the end of the day. So if you choose, you're going to build a successful company and that choice involves, you know, taking those predetermined action steps to execute on something that you already know is going to, is going to, you know, generate the results you want, need, desire, and deserve, uh, that's how I choose it. And, you know, I, I'll share this very interesting. I was walking into um, a pharmacy to grab a greeting card for somebody a couple of months ago. And it was first thing in the morning. They just opened and I walked the door and there was a lady stacking, uh, you know, whatever she was putting on the shelves. And she said, good morning, sir. How are you? And I said, I'm always awesome. How are you? And I answered that question that way intentionally. And she didn't know what to say to me. And I said, I actually was like, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And I asked her, I said, are you all right? She says, yeah. She says, I've never had someone ask, a answer the question that way. She just said, it's usually I'm good or it could be better yeah. or, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and I, it's about perspective. So there are an incredible amount of opportunities. You, uh, every single person listening to us have this conversation today has the ability to grow, expand and scale. It really comes down to making a decision, then executing on it. And the opportunities will present. But I you know one thing I learned over the years in, in both in my own life and my own experiences in business and those I've had the privilege to work with um, the resources you need, whether it's monetary or other don't show up until you've made the decision to do something that's irrevocable. Incidentally. 
Yeah, it's back to commitment and intention again. Well, as we wrap up the conversation, Sean, do you have any other final advice for leaders that want to make a lasting and breakthrough impact? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a good question. I've been asked this a few times, uh, you know, recently for, for whatever reason, just whether it's, uh, you know, I've been asked to do an interview or uh, working with a leadership team. Uh, if you can, and especially for teams, leadership teams, one of the interesting parts is is you usually see uh, someone or maybe more than one on leadership team has a little bit of a different direction. And one of the things that I want to say is make sure you have a leadership team that's unified in in the approach, whatever it is, the direction you're heading, that everybody is pulling in the same direction. If you have one or two people on a team that pull in a different direction, one, obviously you're going to, uh, you're going to change the culture in a company, not in a positive way. And then secondly, um, you know, make sure you have a definition of what it is you want to see from each one of the members of the team. If you're the leader of that team, um, you know, everyone can lead, but there's really, uh, how do I put this? Leading is a result of empowerment. So whoever's sitting at the top of that team needs to understand that his or her team isn't going to be effective in creating what it is they want or need uh, without that. I think you just came back to another aspect of servant leadership again, Sean. I love that. Empowerment. It's true. Yeah, great. Well, thanks again for joining, sharing your story and your wisdom from working with thousands of successful leaders around the world. Thank you for having me. And a reminder to please continue to give the gift of your feedback to help make this podcast better. Go out, rate, and review. It's really easy to do. Do that on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.